So what are we going to talk about tonight, man? I, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I want to talk about uh, love, and it's, it's really the, uh, the, the, the ele most elemental idea in, in everything. Um, and it's, it's so pervasive that sometimes we're not moved by it. You know, it's, it's like the deeper river. Like, if you've got a little creek that's going over the rocks and stuff, it's making a lot of noise, it's splashing and stuff. When you get that real deep river, it's just moving by, right? And you're not even, you're not even aware of it sometimes. And, and love uh, can be like that. And, and here's what I, what I find, and, and I think some of you guys maybe find this as well, that when we think about love, um, we know that God is love, right? If you know like three or four memory verses, you know that one of them is that God is love. You don't know where it is, but you know it's in the Bible, right? That God is love. And you know that we're called to love each other. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to love those that persecute us. And so what happens as a Christian is you end up saying like, man, I know that that's like a big deal. I know I've got to do that. And then you find that you don't feel that way. <laughs> or maybe it's just me. If it's just me, I'll work all my stuff out in front of you guys, right? But you don't walk in a room and think, man, I love these people, right? Even in church, you don't walk in and necessarily look around and think, about, man, I really love all these people. Because we're, we're quirky, weird human beings, and we annoy each other, and we do things. And, and so there's, there's things, right? There's sometimes, and, and maybe I'm the only one, right? But there's some people that you only need to know for a very short period of time before you think, man, I really don't want to spend a lot of per time with that, that person because our personalities are not made to inter interconnect, right? Like that's, I'm just being real, right? And so as a Christian, you can feel really bad about that because you're like, man, I know I'm supposed to love and I'm just not very good at it. Um, and so you end up saying, God, give me, give me those warm, fuzzy feelings of love to everybody all the time. Help me just to feel loving and then those prayers aren't answered, and so you end up in this. Does anybody else ever feel like you're kind of in this thing, right? So, so, you, so you, you feel like you're on this treadmill, and so um, confusion sets in, and basically you say, hey, God, the ball's in your court. I want to feel love, but I know I can't well it up in myself, so you're just going to have to do this in me, and I'll just be here when you're ready to make that happen, right? And, and what I want you to know tonight is that the ball is not in God's court. The ball is in your court, right? Like, God has done what he needed to do. He proved what he needed to prove. He is who he needs to be. That, that if you're not at a place where you feel like you're feeling the love of God, it's not because God hasn't shown up yet. Now, he might show up in an even more profound way in your life than you've experienced yet. And, and sometimes he does that, and it's amazing when he does that. But, but he has provided everything you need to move forward in love. And, and fortunately, in his word, um, in 1 John chapter 4, there's a really powerful passage that I really want to walk through with you tonight and really let the passage speak to us. And so it's going to be illuminated commentary in a lot of ways. I'm not going to try and divert from the argument that's made in the text. I'm, I'm just going to go through it verse by verse. And, and man, there are some profound, powerful things uh, that are going to come out of this. And, and here's my challenge that I want to challenge with you. You might be like, all right, I've listened enough that I'm ready to now kind of check out for the next 30 minutes. You might be leaning forward on the edge of your seat. Wherever you're at here, I want to tell you that there's going to be something in here that is going to push against something in your life. You're going to read something in here, or hear something, and you're going to say, ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's not how I think, or that's not how I do. And that's going to be your moment to, to decide whether you're ready to move forward or whether you're ready to stay stuck. And if you're ready to move forward, then it's like we talked about a few weeks ago. It's this idea of a change of mind and a change of, uh, of, of direction. Uh, you change your mind and you change your direction and you begin to go in the way that God is calling you to go. And if you'll do that, 
you'll experience growth. Uh, you'll experience, uh, you might experience new trials that you didn't know before, but, but you're going to be walking in the right direction, and that's a good thing. So let's, let's, let's just jump right in, right? First John uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, uh, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So it says that if we love, we are born of God, we're born again, as, as Logan was talking about last night, and we know God. Man, that's an awesome thing, right? But here's, here's the challenge. Not everybody that says, I'm full of love, is, is actually full of the kind of love that it's talking about here. And it isn't the type of love that you see on The Bachelor, right? Where, where, where she says, Devin, I'm in love with you, but I'm also in love with Kevin and Stephen, right? I'm in love with three people, okay? That's not the kind of love that we're talking about, right? That's, that's something else. It's not the love that leads to all the isms, right? Uh, racism, sexism, uh, hyper-nationalism, all these isms that say, I love my, whoever identify as my circle so much that I hate everybody who's outside of it, right? That's not the kind of love that God is talking about. Uh, he's not talking about um, what's typically meant when, when we hear the phrase love wins. And uh, some people might say love wins and have their best of meanings behind it, and that's great. But a lot of times what people mean by love wins is either nobody's going to go to hell because God loves everybody too much, and it's, hell is not a reality, um, which, it, which does not line up with Scripture, right? Uh, or it says, hey, love is love is love. You can love whoever you want. It's your choice. You get to do that, right? That, that's not the kind of love that, that God's talking about here. He's not talking about lust. Love is not lust, He's not talking about a mutually beneficial relationship. Sometimes we think that love is like, wow, I'm, I really enjoy hanging out with this person. I'm really nice to them. They're really nice to me. We both like really like the same things. Man, this is love, right? That's, uh, that, that can be love. That can flow out of love, but it could also just be a mutually beneficial relationship. And sadly, that's what a lot of marriages are based on, a mutually beneficial relationship. And then people find out 10 or 12 years down the road that it's not mutually beneficial anymore. And then they say, well, this isn't love. We fell out of love. Love is over. So now we're done. But it wasn't really love at the beginning. It was just a mutually beneficial relationship. That's not what we're talking about. At some point, I'm going to talk about what we are talking about and not all the things. Last, it's not love for the PSL, which dropped this week, right? The pumpkin spice latte. You may love the pumpkin spice latte, but that is not what God is talking about here. So clearly, uh, it's a love that's unlike what we naturally call love. Like all those things that I just mentioned, people call that love in our society, right? And so it's easy to see why we get confused about what love is. Verse 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you lack this kind of love, you don't know God. And that's scary, right? Because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus says, hey, uh, away from me, I never knew you. Right? So knowing God is, is a pretty big deal. They said, hey, we did miracles and we, we did amazing things in your name. And, and he says, I didn't know you. It's, it's super important. So if we don't love, we don't know God. So, so we've got to get this right. Most people would agree with the idea that God is love. But what they really mean is love is God. And, and they define what love is. And then they say, what I've defined as love is God. And the Bible has a name for that. It's called idolatry right? You fashion a God in your own image. You say, these are all the things that I would really admire and like in a deity, and I'm going to call that God, and I'm going to worship and serve that. And when I live in line with that, then I'm going to assume that God is happy uh, with what I'm doing. But that's not what we're talking about here. 
I have a whole taco analogy I'm going to skip. So just so you know, it was a good one, but I'm going to move on. <laughs> so what does this love look like? What is this love, right? We're, we're, we've identified a lot of things that it's not. Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Uh, to be made manifest means readily perceived by the senses, especially by the sense of sight, easily understood or recognized by the mind. Obvious. So you can, you can say it. In this, the love of God was made obvious. It was made uh, easy to perceive and understand because he sent his son Jesus into the world so that we might live through him. Now, most of us readily accept, like, oh yeah, the, the essence of God's love is that he sent Jesus, his son, to die in our place. But he says that he sent him so that we might live through him. That the love of God has made manifest its own display when we live through Jesus. That that's, that's how we really see and the world really sees what the love of God looks like. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The defining mark of love is not that we have chosen to love God, but rather that he chose to love us when we were unlovable. Right? Love of, lo, God's love doesn't begin when you say, God, I have decided I'm going to love you. Right? God's love began when he chose you in your sin to reveal yourself to him, uh, to reveal himself to you, and to bring you into forgiveness. And he, and he says that, that he sent him for the propitiation, which is a word we never use outside of church, but really it means that Jesus paid the price that our sin had incurred. He appeased the wrath of God. And, and, and that throws a lot of people off. They don't like that, right? Because like, oh, God shouldn't have wrath. That sounds dark and, and wicked, right? But, but a loving God has to have wrath. He has to have incredible anger at, at the effects of sin. I mean, look around our world. Look at what sin is doing to our lives. People that we love. People that are sick. People that are in broken relationships. For many of us, right? And God's angry at that. And we're angry at that too. And so he wouldn't be a God worthy of worship if he wasn't angered by sin. And so now if I've committed sin, that has to, that has to be dealt with. And so what it tells us is that Jesus came and he took that upon himself. In our place, that was the expression of love. That's what love looks like. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Uh, to live through Christ, in one sense, means to pursue the example that he gave. And think about the love that Jesus showed while he was on earth. Think about a bunch of different Bible passages, right? Like, how loving was Jesus to the Pharisees? How loving was Jesus to uh, the young, rich ruler that, 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 uh, that, that he challenged, right? How, how loving was Jesus to Peter when he said, uh, get away from me, Satan, get behind me, Satan? The answer is, he was perfectly loving. And so if we think that to become like Jesus means that we're going to walk around with this sort of soft glow and a fake smile and just be, man, I love, man, love led Jesus to confront. Love led Jesus to challenge. But love also gave Jesus the wisdom to know which one to do in each situation. When to come to the woman who's, who's weeping and, and, and lift her up and say, hey, you're forgiven, go and sin no more, Right? Or when to challenge the hard-hearted person and say, unless you turn from this path, you will, you will face destruction. That, that's what 
love looks like. That's what it looks like for Jesus to love. And, and it's interesting, he said his love is made perfect. His love is perfected in us. Man, that's, like, how could Jesus' love be any more perfect? Well, I think about it this way, right? You think about, like, a battery, right? A battery has all the potential and the power in the world. When you put it in into a toy or, or whatever, and that thing lights up and starts to move, it's not that it, the battery became more powerful. It's just that the power of that battery was exposed by being placed into the object that it was made for. And so when God's love is placed into us, and it's put on display in our lives, and everybody can see it, it's not like we've improved on it. We've just put it on display, right? And so in that, in that sense, it is, is perfected when it's put into the use that it was made for. Now, it said this word abide, right? This is another tricky one. How many Christians in here know that we're supposed to abide in Jesus? Abide in the vine, right? Brother, just abide in the vine. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to abide. I, I think I know what it means, <laughs> Right? And so you can, again, you get in that cycle of guilt of like, God, I'm not even sure. I know exactly what that means, so you're going to have to do it. I don't know how to do it, right? But, but fortunately, he explains it to this. Uh, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. How do we know that we're abiding in him? Because he's given us the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I know I have the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. He goes on to say, verse 14, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. If we confess and testify that Jesus is the Savior of the world, then the Spirit is within you. We can't believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for this. Our, we can't believe that in the depths of our heart apart from the Holy Spirit working in us. Are you here tonight? Did you believe that? Do you confess that? Do you tell people, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God? If you do, then that's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is in you because you will not make that profession apart from the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that people don't say it without really believing it, but if you believe it, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of things I'm worried about. <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got, you know, anxiety and stress about a lot of different things, but one thing that I'm not worried about is that I'm going to die and I'm going to show up before God and he's going to say, yeah, you got it wrong. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, man, you, you missed it. it. It wasn't about Jesus at all, right? Like, I'm not worried about that. There's not a lot of things that I know with certainty, but that I know for sure. I know that I don't know a lot of things, but I know that Jesus is God's son and he died for my sins. I, I know that. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love, by this, is, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. This knowledge gives us confidence that we can stand before God on judgment so we can finally move beyond fear. Man, I hope, I hope for somebody in here, the, the, the realization, like, no, no, like, I really believe in Jesus. I hope that frees you up tonight, that you can move beyond fear. Like, oh, man, did, did, I, did I put myself outside of God's love? Is he, is he, man, I just screwed up. I messed up. I didn't, man, I did the wrong thing. Man, I hope he still accepts me. I better go pray really hard, right? Like, I hope tonight that you can move beyond that, because fear-based motivation only gets you so far. 
And if we want to live like mature, full, fruitful lives as Christians, we got we to gotta get beyond just escaping the flames of hell, right? When I walk by you and you smell the, the smoke coming off of me from the, from the barbecue, right? Like, I, I don't want you to cringe in fear and be like, oh man, like, I better say some extra prayers tonight, right? Like, we've got to move beyond that if we want to move forward. And as a church, that's what this week is all about. It's like, let's move. It's time to move forward. It's time to go beyond just celebrating our salvation. It's time to move forward as he made us. And, and, and part of that is moving beyond fear. And, and, and John backs me up, if you don't believe me, right? Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Yeah, our motivation is so important. Because fear will say, like, how much can I get away with? Did I do too much? Did I, am, am I too close to the line? Maybe I should back. I'm kind of afraid, right? But love says, let me get as close to God. I don't even care where the boundary is because I'm going this way, right? I've left the boundary, the sin boundary is behind me. I'm not worried about that anymore. I'm, I'm worried about pressing closer to him. And that's the kind of thing that really moves you. That's the thing that gets you going. That's where you get your momentum, Right? Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. It's so important. And, and if you notice, when John writes, he kind of circles back because he knows that we need to hear it a couple times, right? And so he says, he says, hey, we love because he first loved us. If you love God, it's not because you just willed it in yourself. It's because he extended his love to you and you became aware of it and it allowed you to fall in love with him. But it always begins with him. And so there's no room to boast or brag. All those isms I talked about, man, Christians should be the most humble, the, the most um, hopeful, the most expectant people. We should look at everybody we see and say, man, there's potential for God to do in them what he did in me. There's potential for, for, for them to see God and love God the way that I love God because it's not about me. It's not like I did something great. It's because of what he did in reaching out to me. Verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has seen. He has not seen, sorry. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So he hits us with two ends. The logic end says, hey, if you can't love the person that's right in front of you, how are you going to love God who you can't even see? And second of all, he says, also, God commanded you to love, so you have to do it, right? So, so if you want to be logical, you need to do it. And if you want to be obedient, you have to do it. Either way you want to look at it, it it's your choice, right? Choose your own adventure. So how can I know I'm born again? 1 John 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Did you miss it the first time? He wanted to tell you again, right? He wanted to say, hey, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you have been born again. You were born of the flesh, as Logan talked about last night, and then you were born of the Spirit when you came to believe and, and know that Jesus is the Son of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. If we love God, we will love those that he loves. And, and so this is one of the secrets, right? He says, hey, if you hate your brother you're, and you say you love God, you're a liar. And you're like, yeah, okay, I, I agree, but... I'm not feeling warm, right? And, and here's part of the trick, right? Your personality, another person's personality, maybe they don't mesh. Maybe it's just whatever, right? Like you, you're not getting it. 
But instead of looking to them, you look to God and you say, man, I look to God. I love God. And I look to God and he's looking at them with love. And so now I, I look through him. It changes my perspective. I see the way that he looks at that person because he loves them. And now I can look at him and say, how can I be a vessel of the love that God has for that person? Who cares about my feelings? I'll, they'll catch up. <laughs> they'll catch up later, right? How can I be a vessel of the love that God has for that person? How can he pour into me and let me pour into them? Because I'm not here to represent myself. I'm here to represent Jesus to them. And he loves them. And so who cares what I'm feeling right now, <laughs> right? I'm not the most touchy-feely person in the world, in case you couldn't tell. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the How do we know if we love the children of God? Man, okay, yeah, I want to do that. How do I know? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Notice it doesn't say, you know that you love the children of God, but when you walk in the room and your heart just ignites and you just feel special <laughs> and you feel like you're, no, he doesn't say any of that. He says, the way that you know that you love God's children is because you love God and you obey his commandments. Wow, that's profound, right? I think that's super helpful. Obedience is the proof for love. To say that we need to love each other better as a church doesn't mean simply that we'll start being more patient, empathetic, compassionate towards one another. I hope we will, right? But, but it means ultimately that we'll get really serious about obedience to all of God's commands. If you want to express love to your brothers and sisters here at the church, you're going you're gonna to get really serious about becoming really obedient to God and really loving him well. Because the way that we live our lives has impacts on each other. And, and, and the Bible says that we're a body and that we're all knit together. And so, so if the toe is just, is just dipping its toe, <laughs> to borrow a phrase, right, in, into sin, right, that has an effect on every, every, every one of us. We won't gossip. We'll flee from sexual immorality. We won't lie. We won't judge each other. We won't operate out of pride. We'll consider others more significant than ourselves, and on and on and on. See, that's, that's the kind of thing that you can throw your life into. Like, if you want something worthy of devoting your life to, study this, read this, figure out what it is that God wants for you and start pursuing it with all that you have. So, what, what Paul, we're going into 1 Corinthians here in a couple weeks, and, and that's what Paul says in there. He says, man, he's like, I, I worked harder than anybody. Not I, but God working through me, but I worked hard. <laughs> I went after it. And he knows that it's not to his, 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 uh, it's not to his credit. It's not, it's not a thing of pride for him. He's just like, man, like I'm pursuing Jesus and I wish that you would follow my footsteps and do the same thing. We need to be zealous to learn to follow God's way. We're, uh, we're using a tool here in the, the church. It's down in the resource room. Um, it's, a, it's a workbook and it says walk on the front of it. And one of the concepts that it talks about is this, the path of life. That, that all of God's laws and rules and everything, they're not fences to, to keep you from having fun. They're not limits. What it is, is here's the path. If you want to know purpose and peace in your life, this is the path that you need to walk. And so anytime that we stray from the path, when we get into disobedience and sin, we're off his path. And the more that we think about it that way, the more that we live lives that, that, that are fulfilling, and that's how we express our love to each other. 
Just a couple more verses, right? Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. How awesome is that? It just spells it out for us, right? The love that we need in order to know God is to keep his commandments. It means to understand and pursue his heart. We want what he wants. We love what he loves. But wait, I, I know I still struggle and I, and I don't keep his commands perfectly, right? Is anybody thinking that? Or like, yeah, like I want to do that, right? But I, I, I know I don't, I don't do it to perfection, right? What does verse 4 say? It says, for everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith is the victory that has overcome the world. We, we stumble, we trip, but, but ultimately the victory comes through our faith in Jesus. You're an overcomer if you're here. You've placed your, your faith in Jesus. You have overcome the world. Who is it that overcomes the world? Verse 5, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. True love centers around Jesus. You see dim reflections and copies of it other places, these things called love, but ultimately in Jesus is where we find what love really is. And so because Jesus fulfilled all of the Father's commands completely, the law no longer hangs on our heads. We don't have to fear judgment. We should forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. We should flee from selfish desire because Jesus selflessly gave his life for us. We should serve because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. We should love our enemies because Jesus loved us when we were his enemies. We should give with generosity because Jesus gave us everything. We should, we should even, and, you know, I put this in my notes. I debated whether I should say it. I'm just going to say it, right? Like, um, man, we wanted this week to be an expression of our generosity as a church to you because we love you. And, uh, and so, uh, so we've given free meals every night. We never collected a single offering all week. Um, and we didn't want to uh, because we don't want, a, um, we don't want a, a culture in the church that says, hey, that was some really good worship. I like I the food. I like the sermon. You know, what, uh, here, here, I'm going to throw a 20 in the basket, right? That was pretty good. The next night, yeah, you know, I didn't like the meal as much tonight. I didn't play my favorite song. You know, maybe that's a 10, you know, right? It's not a, it's not a pay per service arrangement. Like the way that God lays it out in his Bible, he says, hey, I give some of you a lot. I give some of you a little. It doesn't matter. I want you to be good stewards of whatever I've given you. Whatever you have, I want you to be a good steward of it. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to take care of your family. I want you to put gas in your car. I want you to pay your bills. I want you to, I want you to take a vacation. I want, you to do, I want you to enjoy, but I also want you to acknowledge that everything that you have is a gift for me. And so, so I want you to give in recognition of that. As a good steward of what I've given you, I want you to give. Um, and so, so, no, I don't want to take up a, t a special collection on Sinai Week. I just want our people... Um, to, to engage the biblical idea of a tithe, right? <laughs> I, I want our people to, to embrace what God has called us to do because it, it demonstrates a deeper recognition of that we're stewards, we're not owners. And, and, and what we give isn't really based on the quality of what's presented on a given Sunday. It's, it's presented on the quality of the God that we serve. And so um, I know we're friends here, so I can share that with you, right? Like you're not offended by that. You love that. Are you in a relationship that you know falls outside of obedience to God? 
Do you have a habit or a pattern of sin that continually fills you with guilt or remorse? What step do you need to take tonight to move closer to God? To lay it at his feet. He's ready to take it. He doesn't want you to carry it anymore. So I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I'm going to invite everybody to close their eyes where you're at. Um, and here's what I want us to do. Man, I just want you to take a moment there. Man, if God has, has laid something on your heart, um, the best way that you can love everyone in this room is by dealing with, with the God's call to obedience on your heart right now. So we're all going to keep our eyes closed. We're going to keep our heads bowed. And, and if you would like to just lay something before Jesus, I'm going to invite you to, to, to get out of your seat, to come forward down here to the front. Just kneel down. Just spend a few moments praying to God as a physical, tangible reminder to you of the commitment that you're making. To or even as an expression of, God, I feel helpless. I don't know how to do this, but I want to change and I, I need you to take it out of my hands. And if you're ready to do that, whenever you're ready, you can just come down. And I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to continue in worship. You won't be alone down here, I promise you. But I invite you to come. Come and, come, come and let Jesus do what Jesus does best. Father God, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this week. We thank you for all the things that you've given us. I thank you for all that you're going to do, God. That this week was beautiful in and of itself, but I really feel like it's, it's a catalyst for what you've got next for us. But it begins by taking tangible steps of obedience, by turning away from sin, by turning towards you, by running hard after you, by experiencing joy in your presence. And so God, as we lay these things at your, your feet tonight, I pray that you would, you would take them, you say that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Take whatever's burdening us. closer to you, closer to your love. Father God, I pray if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray that tonight would be the night that it dawns in their heart that they realize, I really do believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for my sins. I don't understand it all. I don't understand everything, but I, I, I believe that. And Father, if you've done that miracle in their heart, I pray that, that they would have the courage to tell someone, tell the person they came with, that they would reach out to one of us, so that we can celebrate what you're doing, God. Thank you for it. We praise you in Jesus' name. Hey, we've got a couple more songs to do here. If you want to come down at any point, come down, pray throughout this time of worship. But would you stand as we, as we close in worship tonight?